Are we having fun yet? Well, I am really excited today. We have some wonderful guests, um, and I get to I get to introduce uh, one who is not a guest, who is a dear and wonderful father and founder of this church, and um, we're so excited to have with us. And I want us to give a true Christ Center welcome to our beloved founding pastor, John Bowers. Thank you. Bless God. Thank you. Bless your hearts. It's so good to see all of you again. Linda Gay says to make sure that she extends her love to all of you. And uh, some of her very dear friends forever are now called old cronies. She called me early this morning, and she said, make sure you give all my old cronies extra hugs. So... <clears throat> All you old cronies know who you are, so I won't have you stand, but I think I've touched most of, of the old cronies. Approximately 20 years ago, as we would pray uh, with our Christian school to go out in the spring for an outreach, the elders would come together and we would literally get on our faces and we would cry out to God, where do we take the kids this spring? And we wouldn't go where we thought might be a good idea. Um, like Disneyland and other places because it was ministry-related, even though we had fun doing it. We would pray where God would have, have us go. And this one time we're on our faces praying, and God kept speaking to me, Harlem, Harlem, Harlem. And I thought, the last thing I'm going to do is take a bunch of white kids to Harlem 20 years ago. <laughs> and, but I just continued to hear that. And, we, and I would wait, and I said, you guys hearing anything? And no, we haven't heard anything. They've been to Mexico and been different cities and but never Harlem I didn't know anybody in Harlem so I told them I said you know guys I'm, I'm really hearing Harlem and they said well that's the only one only city we've heard so why don't you start pursuing it so I picked the phone up and I called the Chamber of Commerce and I asked for three churches in the middle of Harlem and they gave me three churches and the first church said they weren't interested in housing us and the second church said no we're not interested in having you come and I thought to myself, you know, I said, you know, we're, we're not coming for money. We're not coming. We just want to come and bless your church and bless your community. So I got a hold of the third church, and it happened to be the Bethel Gospel Assembly in downtown Harlem, New York. And uh, I talked to a person there, a lady, and they said, well, you need to talk to Pastor Gordon Williams. So Gordon comes on the line, and I said, uh, you know, here's what we're doing. We like to come if you have facilities that we can stay in like a gymnasium, we will sleep there, we'll have our own cooks, and we will give you stacks of referrals when we're finished so you can mop up what we've done on the streets of, New of Harlem. And he says, well, sure, why don't you just guys, y'all oh, come on. And not knowing what we were getting into, we arrived in Harlem, New York, and Bethel Gospel Assembly welcomed us, received us, and for 20 years, it's been an ongoing relationship, a phenomenal relationship. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm on the plane the other day flying in, and I'm happy to, to sit by this black pastor, not knowing he was a black pastor. And so as, as has been my thing that God's laid upon me for years, when I get on a plane, I'm always asking ahead of time, God, whoever sits by me is a divine appointment. 
and their free games. So, Lord, whoever sits by me gets to hear about Jesus. And so I'm walking on. There was a little two-place seat on the side, and, and there was this black gentleman sitting there. And I sat down, and I looked over at him, and I said, Well, I said, you're in a divine seat today. And he says, Excuse me. I said, you're in a divine seat. I said, I pray that God will put me by somebody that needs to hear what's going on in the kingdom of God. Oh, man. He said, you know that I'm a pastor, and I'm flying to San Francisco to get away from everything to hear God. What's he saying? (laughs) So we had a delightful time flying from Dallas to to uh, Salt Lake, and then we parted the company there and went on. But in the time of talking with him, he said, so what are you doing, and what are you going out to Oregon for? And I says, well, I said, I've got dear friends coming in from Harlem, New York, and they're going to be speaking at the church. But I said, the truth of the matter is, if the body really knew it, it w- they would probably think I was crazy. But I said, the truth of the matter is, for 20 years now, we've been going back and forth. Harlem comes out to Oregon, and Oregon goes to Harlem. And Harlem Church comes out to Oregon, and we water raft, and we have a blast. And we go back there, and took their cowboy church there, and we we just have fun. I said, 90% of everything we do in ministry is fun, and it should be that way. So I said, the truth of the matter is, when we started arranging our schedules this year for Harlem to come to Oregon... Pastor Gordon said, when's the Ducks playing a great football game? <laughs> and I said, who do you want to see? I said, here's what we've got. So I went through the list, and when I hit UCLA, he says, UCLA. I want to, I want to watch them play UCLA because by that time, you know, this, this might really get good. Well, obviously it was great. Number two was playing number 11 last night. But they flew in, the truth is, to see UCLA, not to be with you. And the truth is, when I fly to New York, I'm going in to watch the Yankees, not them. (laughs) Preaching's just a side. So I just wanted to make sure that you're relaxed with that. So you're kind of second fiddle, but get ready to receive a real blessing. I'd like to introduce to you my dear friends and dear friends of this church. This church loves them. Uh, It's really exciting because our new pastors are getting acquainted with them. And a, a new thing, a new dimension all over is starting to happen between the two churches. It's going to be fun to see where the Lord takes it now. But uh, I'd like to have uh, Vinny Williams come up. Vinny's uh, one of the great men of God there in Harlem who works their business area, is responsible for building their new facility. Come on up. Just a great guy. And uh, Gordon Williams, uh, associate pastor, come on up. Gordon has really been the catalyst that has, that Bishop Ezra Williams way back uh, 19, 20 years ago basically had given up on the whites. Bishop, Bishop Ezra Williams had basically given up on the whites because he, he told me, he says, that all the whites ever do is, is use me as a black pastor in Harlem 
to make their own program look good. And when it's over, it's over. And so he says, you know, I'm tired of that. And so I told him, I said, I hope they were different. And so I think we have, have proven and passed the test that we are different and that we just simply love and it's, a, it's an exciting thing. But Gordon was basically the one the bishop said, would you just take care of those guys, that white pastor in Oregon? And so Gordon and I have had some phenomenal times together. And then Carlton, uh, would you come Carlton? Carlton Brown was a young guy growing up under Bishop Ezra Williams. And when I'd made the transition to turn the church over to a young pastor, Bishop was here. Bishop Ezra Williams was here with his wife Dorothea and some of the uh, church people from Harlem. He came to me afterwards and he said, how in the world did you do that? And I said, well, it's, it's just simply an ordained thing of God. When he speaks and says, this is what I want for my church, you better get out of the way and let it happen. And so he says, I need to do the same thing. And so I got to watch the transition of Bishop doing the same thing that, that I did here in Oregon. He did also in New York. And Carlton was the man that was anointed to take over the church. Uh, I was honored to be at the time when they caused uh, Carlton to become a bishop. And it was a phenomenal move of God there in New York. We've been involved in um, funerals, weddings. We've been involved in everything you can think of because we're family. But I just um, <clears throat> wanted you to take a look at these three great men of God. And, and I'm saying seriously, we have a lot of fun together. We play a lot together. But boy, I'll tell you, we've got down in the trenches, and we've been really excited about doing work all over the world. We've traveled all over the world together, too. We've been in North Korea, Guatemala. Um, we could just go on and on. Cuba. It's been a phenomenal experience with them, and I believe that the church, I want to introduce you to them because I believe that this is going to be a continuation of, of what God's doing and because he's such a great God, I thought it would be right that we would just simply worship him a little together. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, O Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe display. All the ladies now. Then sings my soul, my Savior 
Let's join them brothers together. We sing in harmony. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. My Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Be seated. One of the things that always connected with at least myself in the very beginning of being in, in Harlem was the way they worshipped and it took us to a different dimension in worship and how wonderful it was to be able to be there and just to bask in the this new dimension of worship that was so awesome now they don't know this but but you're going to be quiet now and I'm going to ask I'm going to give them mics could you guys come wire them all up uh, Carlton's already wired, so turn him on. And then give me one more mic up here that's hot. And I'm going to ask them just to do a trio, just do a, do a song for us, okay? <laughs> Levi, I saw Levi. Can that's you come to the keyboard, Levi? Oh, you don't have a keyboard. Mm. You two sing. <laughs> We, John surprises us. Thanks, John. <laughs> we'd, we'd depreciate that. <laughs> you know, wait, wait, before we, before we figure out what we're going to sing, really, um, I just want to say it's really good being home. It's really good being back. I, I had an opportunity to see some of the folk, uh, you know, and it, it is really Ed and Red and Jed and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Debbie and Jeff. I mean, it's really good being back, back home here. And it's like when you, when you come, when you're away for a long time and you come back, it's like, oh man, I'm home. And so I just want to, Dick, God bless you, man. And it's really, really just being uh, nice being back home, okay? So let's do, let's uh, try this. We, um, Carlton just celebrated his 60th birthday a few weeks ago. It's pretty obvious. He doesn't look like he's 60 years old, but he, he is 60. And uh, Vinny and I did a song for him that was just for him. And I don't know, I, that's why I was calling Levi. I wish you had a key, but we're going to do it without the keys. And if any of the musicians want to jump up and, and strum a little something behind us, we'd appreciate that also. <laughs> Just not all at one time now. You feel the same way we do. <laughs> I heard about a king who gave his life 
for me, how he suffered, and he died at a place called Calvary. Though my mind could not conceive, in my heart I believed, so I followed my broken heart to him oh, follow, follow follow the cry of your heart follow 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 your heart, follow your heart to the foot of the cross. I heard about a king who gave his life for me, how he suffered, how he bled and died. At this place called Calvary, in my heart I couldn't conceive. In my mind I didn't believe, but I followed my broken heart to him. So we'll follow. cry of your heart. Follow, follow, follow your heart. Follow your heart to the foot of follow your heart to the foot of Follow your heart to the foot of the cross. And you laughed and you said, I don't need the Lord. I'm going to find another way, not believing on his word but Jesus sees the nights that I lie awake and cry as my heart longs to feel his love Whoa, Follow, follow, follow.
your heart to the foot of. Follow your heart to the foot of. Follow your heart to the foot of the cross. And if you. Now, on any given, we, right now we have two services, an uh, 8.30 service and an uh, 8 o'clock 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock service and an 11.30 service on Sunday mornings. On any given Sunday, you could walk through the doors of our church and you would hear, mm, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never. How can I for? How can I forget what you've done for me? How can I forget how you set me free? How can I forget? How you brought me out. How can I forget? No, never. And I'll never be the same again. No, no. No, 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 no. I'll never be the same again. No, no. No, 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 no. Since my life is changed, I am not the same. And I'll never ever be the same again. And I'll never, never be, be the same, same again. again. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll never be the same again. No, 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 no. Since my life is changed, I am not the same. I'll never ever be the same again. He brought, he brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. John, we want to thank you for allowing us to do a concert in Junction City this <laughs> Oh, when we're together, this is what goes on all the time. It's, it's, um, we might be sitting around campfire, and all of a sudden somebody starts going, oh, we'll never be the same, and it just goes crazy. And you get the Native Americans involved in it, and you get the Latinos involved in it, and it's dangerous. <laughs> it's absolutely dangerous. But we love hanging out, just worshiping Jesus. Would you welcome and give Christ Center the welcome that, this man deserves Bishop Carlton uh, Brown. Would you come, Carlton? God bless you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. 
Now, come on, let's give God the praise. All the glory, all the honor goes to the Lord. Give him praise. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house one more time. We pray that you'll bless us as we go into the word and that, Lord, we will just hear what you have to say to your church today. You are Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end, and we give you thanks. Thank you for, Lord, the founder of, of the Alliance. Lord, we thank you for John and how you blessed him and touched his body, allowed him to lead us even 20 years now. Time flies, oh God, when you're having fun. And so we thank you for what you're doing in his life and continue to bless him in Christ's center. We thank you for Pastor Joshua, Lord, and what you're doing through him, Lord, as the next generation, Lord, picks up the mantle and continues. And Lord, we pray that our fellowship will continue to be sweet. Bless us again, we pray in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you again, Christ Center. It's good to be back one more time. As, as Elder Vinny said, we've traveled, the three of us, all over the world together. And, and um, they, these guys have been singing forever since they came out of the womb as, <laughs> as brothers. And, and uh, so I don't mess with them. When they sing, I just listen and I enjoy it. And they came and they sang for, because I've been telling them for years, when are you guys going to sing again? Because I haven't really done this much in, in a number of years. And so they blessed me on the 60th, and they, they came together and did that for me, and I thank God for them. And they're, they're still blessed, and they're preaching and sharing, and we got a new sanctuary going up, and, and Elder Vinny has been, he's our facility director, and we have basic Bethel complex, and we got the new building, and we got the apartment building, and we got a couple other buildings we're getting, and so he's... He's been trying to retire, but he just gets deeper and deeper into stuff. And so we thank God for him and uh, how the Lord's touched him through two hip operations and, and um, three, actually. And um, he has three hips. He's, he's unique. <laughs> Amen. They had to repair one. And uh, he's in a lot of pain usually, but, but, but man, you never know it. He just smiles and lights up a room. And then Pastor Gordon has been, uh, we were associates together underneath Bishop and He's been with me, and, and we just do this together, and, and uh, God's just given a, best, a special spirit, and um, I can send him to places where he just lights it up, and, and he does that all the time, and we just thank God for him. And so we're just together, spend a great time with, with Joshua and Levi, along with Pastor John, and we watch the ducks do their thing, amen. And so we, we enjoy it. We duck fans now, amen, all the way, ducks all the way, number one. And it was fantastic. Yeah, that's it. That's it, right? All right. Y'all not for Oklahoma State around here, huh? Not at all, huh? No, no, okay. No beavers in the house. Okay, but praise the Lord. We Duck fans. Oh, there's one beaver in the house. Two. Uh-oh, three. I, I don't want to start a problem here. I see a lot of beavers coming up. I don't want to start any problems. No. Okay, let me leave that alone. But it was great. That was, for me, that was my, now, Pastor Gordon has a son who's now with a uh, wide receiver with, with Albany State in New York, and uh, we're expecting great things. And then they both have a nephew who plays for Notre Dame, and uh, should be going to draft next year. And uh, so those guys, they've seen college football games. I've never been to a college football game. My first time. And man, it's loud. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I wasn't sure these old 60-year-old ears are going to hold up, but the Lord is good, and here we are today. And so, but it was a great experience, and, and uh, it's not surprising that my first time would be with John Bowers. He just has a way of 
pulling something new out of the hat every time. Amen. And we're looking forward to go to Cuba with the Alliance, and uh, that's coming along, and so we give God praise. What time do you usually get out of church? Out of church on now, huh? <laughs> I was about, we were about ready to go out the door. Amen. Now, those of you, huh? Take my time. Oh, see, some, you newer folk that don't know us, that's a dangerous thing when you hear that, take your time. You don't tell a black preacher from Holland, take your time. And some of you who remember the first time I preached here back in 98 or something like that, it was about how long? About an, how long was it, John? You would remember. <laughs> but don't worry, I learned my lesson a long time ago, so it won't be long. It'll be sweet. Shorter, it would have been sweeter. It would have been shorter and sweeter, except your pastor told me that we're we kind of doing something here, and I like, you know, to keep doing it, so we're up to the, to the resurrection. And, and why we know it's historical, it's a historical reality, and we're in the book of Acts, and, and so if you could just do something from there. And I said, okay, so we're doing something from there. Amen. And so we're going to actually get your Bibles, and, and we're not actually going to work from Acts, but we will work, work from the theme of a historical evidence of the resurrection and what it means. And the fact that it does demand a decision. So we're going to work with this for a little bit, but probably we'll be done in, in no time. You'll get home by tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 5, it states, For I delivered unto you, first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter and to the twelve. And Lord, we're going to ask that you continue to bless us in the study of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get going, let's, let's do a little, little test out here. Let's, let's, let's see what you think about some questions or some statements, some statements I'm about to read to you, and I want to know whether you believe it is fact or whether it is fiction. Are you ready? Just shout it out once I tell it to you. You just shout out facts of fiction. We'll figure out which way you believe. Number one, history abounds with tales of people remaining conscious after being beheaded by the guillotine. Modern doctor, however, says that once the brain is cut off from the heart, consciousness is lost within two to three seconds. Facts or fiction? All right, everybody believes it's true. All right. Answer, according to Dr. Harold Hillman, the rapid fall of oxygen-infused blood heading to the brain would cause a person to lose consciousness in two to three seconds. So, so we're in agreement on that. Number two, we only use 10% of our brains, but with practice, you can learn to tap into the 90% of your brain that normally goes underused. Fact or fiction? Fiction? Fact? Most folk... The answer is that there is no evidence that we, can, that we use only 10% of our brain. You've been hearing that, but there's no evidence that's all you use, so fiction. Number three, there's a single light bulb that has been burning since 1901. Fact or fiction? All right, that fiction's a holding that most of you believe that's not true. Well, the answer is that in a lighthouse in Livermore, California, probably not far from here, you can view a light bulb that hasn't been turned off since 1901. The bulb is of an unknown wattage and is included in the Guinness Book of World Records. And actually, they did turn it off for 22 minutes when they took it from its 
original location, they put it into another location, and it's been burning ever since 1970-something. So technically, it has been burning since 1901, and no one wants to take it apart to figure out why. <laughs> All right. Here's one that some of you folk from back in the day would enjoy. Coca-Cola used to use cocaine in its ingredients. Fact or fiction? Well, this is near Eugene, Oregon, right? So I guess everybody knows fact, right? Everyone says fact? Well, we'll never know how much cocaine was actually in it, but it is a fact that it was once used. By 1902, there was one uh, a ratio one to four hundredth of a gram per ounce of syrup that included cocaine. It wasn't until 1929 that Coca-Cola became cocaine-free. Amen. I just thought you might be interested in that. Amen. Here's one for you Republicans. George W. Bush declared June 10th to be Jesus Day. Fact or fiction? <laughs> what? George Bush, W. Bush, declared June 10th to be Jesus Day. Fact or fiction? How many say fact? How many say fiction? Oh, everyone's saying, most of you say fiction. The answer is, while governor of Texas, the soon-to-be president, declared June 10th to be a holiday favoring and honoring Jesus Christ. Amen. George did something good. Now, here's number six. There is a God, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and there is a resurrected Savior that settles the matter of all three. True or false? Fact or fiction? Fact. Amen. And indeed, it's a fact. And that's what we're talking about today, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that it is a fact, and we going to have to deal with that. Amen? Amen? The scholars state with conviction that Paul wrote much of the New Testament, um, including 1 Corinthians and the book of Galatians. And that's important because it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Paul states to us that we need to remember and be reminded in terms of the principles of God's divine truth, what we have heard and what we learned. In the third verse, he makes a tremendous statement with these words. He says to us that, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again, according to Scripture, and appeared to Peter and to twelve. The framing of those words were very intentional. The words basically are, see, it speaks of a technical rabbinic terminology that speaks of a formal set of words that are heard word to word, uh, word of mouth, memorized, and delivered as a formula of teaching. It was stated in a manner which they understood it has great divine authority. It's a very sacred statement. Paul continues to recite a creed to us in a rhyme, a, a, a certain pattern of, of writing in the day, a two parallel sentences structured rhythmically as an aid to be remembered. And so it goes, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scripture. 
and appeared to Peter and to the twelve. The pattern of writing was one to be learned, memorized, and recited by the early church. A principle, a foundational truth that was not to be forgotten. It's often stated that when people, over time, you hear something from the past, well, you can't really trust those statements. Many people try to say that about the Word of God. That, well, the book was written 2,000 years ago, it's filled with myths, it's not, it's not true. But yet, it's interesting how we'll look at the great historian Tacitus and his annals of Imperial Rome that was recorded and recorded history that was 100 years before his own life, and, and yet we'll say that's true. Or we'll take the writings uh, from uh, Livy, who wrote 142 books on Roman history, and 38 of which remain today, and we look at those years which he wrote, which covers over 753 years up to his own lifetime, and yet many will say that those are true. But yet the New Testament was written, over 5,000 copies remaining to us to this very day, plus many others in other languages. And it also contains eyewitness accounts of what took place. And one thing that happens over time, time does not change an eyewitness account. We recognize that the writings of Paul and the New Testament continue, the oldest of which goes, even as uh, of the copies that we have, goes late as A.D. 200, which is only 150 years after the original had been written. We recognize that when you compare and contrast Scripture with Scripture, writing with writing, that there's a consistency that speaks to the validity of those words. Paul seeks in his writing in 1 Corinthians to establish for our understanding and for our confidence the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He continues to write in the fifth chapter that this Jesus Christ was seen of Cephas, which is Peter, and then of the twelve, sixth verse, and after that he was seen of 500 brethren at the same time and of whom the greater part, even at the time of his writing, continued to live, though some had fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, who was the brother, half-brother of Jesus, then of all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, I saw him myself as one born out of due time. We understand that the purpose of Jesus was to come to bring to us an understanding of his love his power, his wonders, but most of all, his desire to be with us. This is the principal foundation of the things that we learn. Jesus came that he might be with us. That's something to keep in mind when you're feeling alone and going through your struggles. The Bible lets us understand that in Mark chapter 13, 14, that he ordained 12 that they should be with him. He ordained or called out these individuals to demonstrate to the world how much I want to be with you and how I want to be with you. What the, what the quality of that relationship will look like. This is before he talked about the other things, about that they, sh that they uh, sh might preach the gospel and that they would have power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. All that stuff is great. We're called of God. We have a message to share. We've got to preach the gospel. He gives us power to see signs and wonders. We can heal sicknesses. We're going to cast out the devils. All that is great, but Jesus establishes the foundation. I came basically because I want to be with you. Before you think about what you got to do for me, I want you to understand, I want to hang out with you. You see, that very scripture that really supports the stuff that John says when he says that ministry is 90% having fun. Really. Just hanging out. 
We think in Jesus in terms of, oh, well, hang out so he can give us more uh, beatitudes or hang out with him so he can, he can admonish us or correct us or, 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 sh- or show us how much we need him. But, but the first thing, Jesus just loved to hang out with the disciples. That's why they loved him. That's why the wine bibbers loved him. That's why the world loved him. That's why those who counted themselves down and out loved him. The folk that had trouble with him were all the religious people that wanted to be deep in the word. And they forgot about why God created the heavens and the earth and how, why he said it was so very good when he created man. What's important right here is to understand how much Jesus wanted to be with you. Paul speaks to us in terms of this agreement, how it produces power. The Bible talks about this idea of being with Jesus ought to be, bring about a transformation of who we are so that we can learn how to be with each other while we're being with Jesus. That's important because sometimes we want to be with Jesus and want to hog him up for ourselves. We want to be with Jesus begin to say, well, this one can't be with you and that one can't be with you, and we get it all wrong. It's not about just you. It's about all of us coming together. The Lord wants us to understand that when he left, that he was leaving, that we might continue to be with him, that I go to prepare a place for you, but if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where you are, there I may be also. And he also says that I'm going to give you a comforter while I'm away that's going to link us together so that my words and my presence and and the essence of who I am will always be with you. And so he sends the Holy Spirit. So through this reality of the Holy Spirit, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to begin to realize the kind of transformation that's going to give you peace with the idea of how much I want to be with you. And you won't feel so ashamed about your weaknesses and your failings, how much I want to be with you despite what you do. The fact that you can be with me because the Holy Spirit is that, that, that element that brings us together into a healthy unity, the Holy Spirit. And so he kind of brings this whole lesson together with this release of power, this power that we need to have peace with the idea that Jesus actually wants to be with me. And so we find that in the book of Acts, as you've been covering the book of Acts, you recognize in chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, that they came to this wonderful place of empowerment, that when they came into one place in one accord, meaning that they came to a place of obedience, because Jesus said, go into the upper room and wait, go into Jerusalem and wait. So they went to the upper room. They came into a place of reconciliation, because while they were there, they had to get some things straight between them. They had to deal with the fact that, well, you know, uh, Peter, you messed up, you know, and, well, Thomas, you doubted him. Well, we all left him. And, and the others said, you guys, you, you 11 who are still around, you guys were the closest to him. But look what you all did. You should have been the ones that stuck it out. You can understand why we messed up, but look how y'all messed up. So they had to work out some issues. And so for those, those 40 days while they were working it out, they came into a place of reconciliation. And it was when they came into that place of reconciliation, agreed that he is Lord and that we're going to wait and we're going to have courage and, let, and just wait on him until he's ready to make the next move. That's when we're going to make the next move. When they came into that place of one accord, that place of agreement, the Bible said that's when the fire came down. That's when the power came down. There's something that happens when the church comes to a place of agreement. When we look past age, we look past race, we look past sex, we look past mistakes, we look past who, what your testimony looked like as opposed to mine, and when we come together with the same mind that agrees that, you know what, no matter how much we screw up, Jesus loves us, he wants to be with us, and we're learning how to just have fun in the presence of the Lord and trust God even through our storms. When we get that kind of mind, he begins to do something that gives us courage to face the next day face our trials, face the mess that we're in. We, we begin to love the Word of God and talking about the Word of God rather than what we heard 
on the grapevine or what the media is trying to say. We've become to a new level of relationship with the Lord. So then Paul takes this reality that was handed to him. He didn't believe all this stuff initially, but as you know, to the road to Damascus. But he took all this craziness, and he began to, to come into a place of seeking the face of Jesus. And Jesus met him in a way that was different. But I, I imagine that Paul, the way Paul writes, you realize that as much as he enjoyed seeing Jesus out of time, seeing this, this, this supernatural manifestation of Jesus Christ, however Jesus appeared unto him, he says there were things that were going on I can't even explain to you, but, but it was just awesome. And it must have been true because people like Peter and John and the others, they believed him, even though he was killing them at one time. But there was something about the things he shared. He said, you know what? This guy really was with the master. And they accepted that. But I bet you Paul said, man, I wish, though, that I was with you guys when you saw him in his, when he first came. I wish I was there. I wish I was there. But I've listened and I learned and, and I, 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 the Lord spoke to me. And so, so Paul begins to speak to us as a church how to, how to hang out as a church, how to be a church. That's the beautiful impartation of Paul. Peter came along and gave instructions, so did John, but Paul really helped to articulate what the church was to look like. And 1 Corinthians was an excellent book because 1 Corinthians finds the church where we always end up. Every church always ends up at Chloe's house. <laughs> now, the, you guys who read the Bible, you know exactly what that meant. That when Paul wrote this book, he said, listen, there's some stuff I heard by way of Chloe's house. There's some things that you all are getting together. There's some mess going on in the church. This is not what he had in mind when he said he wanted to be with you. So I'm going to take my time to begin to explain to you what, what this church should look like. And so he begins to write to us about the, 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 the idea of the disciplined life of the church. And so you begin to read through first when you get there in the New Testament, you begin to read about all this. This is the way it should go, and this is what should happen. And, and this is, he even talks about the fact that I myself, I'm very careful in my walk. By the ninth chapter, he's talking about how he, he beats his own self. He shadow boxed with himself. After having preached to others, he himself would be a castaway. So I discipline myself. Then by the 10th verse, he talks about how if you, anyone that think he stand, take heed lest you fall. Don't think you have it all together and that you don't need correction, don't need each other. So he gives instruction about the disciplined life. By the 11th chapter, he's saying, listen, some of you are getting so crazy when you come together for communion and talk about the Lord and the oneness of the Lord. Y'all have turned this thing into something that doesn't look like anybody who's ever spent any time with Jesus. And so he says, let me give you some orders to how you, should, how you should have your love feast and what you should do and how you should prefer one another, but make sure you come straight before the Lord. Then the 12th verse, by the 12th verse, he starts getting a little fancy here. He begins to say, listen, get yourself together because God wants to do some tremendous things in your life. There's some powers, there's some gifts of the Spirit that God, God for, has for you. So he talks about the, he goes from the disciplined life to the dynamic life. And then from there, he gets into the desirable life. Chapter 13, he says, but with all the things that you can desire, all these gifts, the most important thing to desire is love, this thing about love. Because when you really talk about being with Jesus, there should be a reflection of love. Strive for that thing. Get that thing together. Begin to learn how to deal with your enemies and folk that don't look like you and come together. Really break down the walls around you. So he says some great things about the dynamic life, and then he goes into the desirable life. And then in the 14th chapter, he gets back into the, dealing with the disordered life and, and how you kind of get a little disorderly with these gifts that God has given you. You need to get it back together and be disciplined. 
And after saying all of that, all of the stuff that you need to know, all the stuff you need to learn, all the stuff that you have to discover, all the stuff you need to set aside so you can become dynamic in him and don't get messed up and crossed up with the fears of this life. When he puts all of that stuff aside, you take a deep breath after reading the first 14 chapters and you say, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of discipline. That's a lot of Bible study. That's a lot of prayer. That's a lot of having to deal with, with folk that don't look like me and, then, and really getting out of my comfort zone. That's a lot of stuff. Why should I do all of that? So Paul says right about here, he said, you know, by now I'm testing you a little bit. I'm stretching you a little bit. And, and some of you are stretched to the point of breaking. So let me remind you of something. And that's when he hits the 15th chapter. In the 15th chapter, he talks about something that is at some point, it's a concern to all of us. He talks about death. But then he talks about the hope that we have beyond the grave. We can get caught up in stuff. And we can forget about this, this thing that's always following each and every one. From the moment we're born, there's this reality. It's called death. Death. We were at this great football game. We are going crazy. Folk are going crazy. Levi's going crazy. John's going crazy. Joshua's going crazy. Gordon's trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> Vinny went home. And there was a woman sitting next to me, and she's, 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 she's lost it. She even got all that green stuff. I mean, she's, she's really into it. Forget about the rest of the noise. Just her yelling in my right ear. <laughs> and turn around and say, brother, you having fun? Boom. Ah! So everybody's, and I mean, and now second half, they're winning. They scored a couple of touchdowns that they needed because for a while they was a little shaky. And she was there. And then all of a sudden, she came back with her little daughter. And she's there. And she, I noticed, I didn't look at her, but she was doing something with her eyes. And then they scored that touchdown. She got, woo! She did her woo. And the guy in front was sitting down. He turned around. He's high-fiving everybody. And then he turns and looks at her. Then he looks back. Then he turns again and says, are you all right? And I said, man, she's getting emotional over this game, man. I mean, I mean, tears, that kind of emotion. I mean, it's one thing to yell and scream, you know, but come on, this is not a matter of life and death. If they lose, they lose. But she, they, oh, I thought she was so relieved they scored that touchdown. And so she, she, she says, I'm all right, and she dries her eyes, and then I see she whispers something to him. Then after a few moments, she's gone. And then he turns around and, and and knows that we're probably wondering, so he turns and whispers to Gordon and explains, her father just died. And then Gordon told me, and I said, oh, that's why she was crying. She was so happy to be there. She was going through all the chants. She was talking all this stuff. She was saying things like, it never, what do they say, it never rains in she was telling us, because she said, oh, you're all from New York? So she was explaining this thing. She was, I mean, she was a die-hard fan. And she was so happy to be there in the stadium with, filled with 60,000 people. And in the midst of her joy, she gets the word, her father died. You can't hide from death. You can't get into activities and, and just escape it that way. It, it finds you. In the fun house, finds you in the poor house, 
finds you in the penthouse. Wherever you are, wherever you think you've escaped the reality of this thing called death, it finds you. And it makes you feel like life is so short. And I just got to make the most of it. And I don't have time for all this discipline. But then the word says to us that death is swallowed up in victory. Paul gets there. Paul says this belief in Jesus Christ as crucified Messiah and risen Savior is very central to our united belief and our proclamation. It's hard to believe, he kind of indicates to us, and so I understand how difficult it can be. So I'm taking some time out to let you know that all your labor is not in vain. Give you a little motivation on this thing. They had a hard time. Peter denied, Mark 14, 66 and 72, talks about how Peter denied Jesus. James, the half-brother in John 7, 5, it says that he was one of the brethren of Jesus. He dismissed this whole thing about Jesus Christ. All the disciples, the Bible lets us know in Matthew 26, 56, they deserted him that when the going got tough, all of this regimented teaching and learning, all that, when it got tough, that they said, man, we, the most important thing is to stay alive. I'm not ready to die yet. Life is too short. And so this was nice when you're doing the signs and the wonders thing, but now these folk are out for blood, and this thing is getting hard, and this is becoming too demanding, and I got to get out of this because I'm into life to try to stretch it as much as I can and forget my problems and lose it if it's gambling, drink, whatever I need to do, forget about the fact that I'm only here for a limited time. And so they reacted the way most of us would have reacted. Even Paul said this is rubbish. So Paul totally disrupted anyone that wants to believe in anything called the Messiah as being Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, not Jesus. It's not him. But it is in a Holy Spirit-led church that this reality of a divine overriding of the demonic and his death becomes a reality where we can have hope in the face of the challenges that we face in life. The Holy Spirit Holy Spirit is a means by which these men who ran and dismissed and laughed at and scorned, that they suddenly became courageous and willing to submit to a disciplined life because the Holy Spirit gave them the power, gave them the reality, radically redirected their steps, that they were willing, and they believed in this so much that they were willing to even die for what they believed. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 talks about this concept of being buried with him in baptism, wherein also we are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. This understanding of the impartation of Holy Ghost experience that Romans 8.11 says, but if the same spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. This, this foundational truth and reality of the power of the Holy Spirit that quickens our faith and enables us to live a disciplined life according to what the desire of our Heavenly Father has willed in our lives and that even in the face of death itself, we do so with the courage that we shall yet live again because that same spirit. Resurrection power. Paul says, I've studied this thing. 
He talks about in Galatians chapter 1, 18 and 19, that he came to research the matter. He says, I heard this story firsthand. I heard the story firsthand. And what the, so I went to Jerusalem to visit. And the word visit, it means historical, which is a word to investigate. He didn't just come to visit and hang out. To investigate this matter of the Holy Ghost and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All this teaching, I came to investigate, and when I came, I walked away with a confidence that it is true. He says, I sat with Peter and James, and I got firsthand account. And with ninth verse, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas a right-hand discipleship. They looked at us and said, hey, we realize, Paul, you have come to the same conclusion. Somehow, you met with the master, he came, and that only helps us because we know we saw him alive again. And now we know you saw him too because what you have described to us and the things that you have said, only someone who was with him, not the one who's dead and gone, but the one who rose again is only by that means by which we can have this conversation. So what you had at the very principle, at the very foundation of our faith is an agreement of all the biggies. Paul, along with Peter, John, and James, Barnabas right there, they came into an agreement that this thing is true and we're going to continue to preach and teach it. Though they try to silence us, we will not be moved. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 11, we all agree on this. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. And so you now believe. And now Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. How say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? The 17th verse, he says, and if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, they are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now, understand, now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept. Paul had to die. Peter had to die. Thomas had to die. They all had to die. These men who walk with Jesus... They all had to suffer, and they all had to die. It was necessary. Why do you say it was necessary, Pastor? Because men do not die for a lie. If I'm lying, if I'm bamboozling you, if I'm telling you a story just to, just to gain favor with you or finances from you, support from you, that's one thing. But when someone puts a gun to your head and tells you, stop this lie or else I'll kill you, Guess what I'm going to do? I say, you got it, brother. <laughs> Just let me go. You'll not hear from me again. But if I know it's true, I still might say, okay, bro, I'll stop because I want to live. But if he's challenging me on the resurrection, if he's challenging me on this idea of living again, and I know that you do live again. I know that you rise again. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt because I've seen it happen and I heard the promise that was given by this individual to me that if I believe and walk the same way, I'll live again. Then guess what? I'll die because I know that your weapons can't harm me. 
I'll die because I know you don't have a hell to put me in and to seal me up in. I'll die because I know that my God will justify my faith and I'll stand with him and I'll be a whole lot better off. So I'm willing to die. And that's what each of these men were willing to do. Lest anyone say they were a band of simple Galileans who got together to bamboozle the world. Well, guess what? The joke would have been on them if there was no resurrection. But they were willing to die because they saw it firsthand. So, let's conclude. In conclusion, the word that you all want to hear. Many of you, Christmas time and Easter time, resurrection time, there's some music that you break out on your CDs, on your digital players. There's some music that we all like to hear by a European. His name was Handel. And the work is Messiah, not the Messiah, just Messiah. This work was written by Handel in 24 days. The words, however, were not his, but the words of Messiah, we know, come from God. It was a man by the name of Charles Jennings who was concerned with one central thought, which he wanted to establish in three parts. This man, Jennings, establishes three realities about God that he wanted to be set to song. Number one, that God makes promises. And he made a promise in the Old Testament, he made a promise in the New Testament that was fulfilled. And it was about that there is a Messiah coming. The second thing he wanted to establish is that there's a passion and victory that we have over a rebellious world. So he talks about the Old Testament anticipation and the New Testament fulfillment of this expectation. And then came the third and last part of this piece of work he wanted to be produced. And it was about the triumph over death. Quite simple. Old Testament anticipation of the victory, the New Testament revelation and fulfillment, securing the redemption for every individual. He, he comes to handle with this work, which is represented by various scriptures that the Lord, he felt the Lord gave him, and this will be the foundation of what you write. And he talks about the historical fact of the lamb slain. It talks about the soteriological fact that it is a gift of God for redemption and it will speak to a theological fact that he demonstrated himself worthy and because he fulfilled the sentence of death upon mankind by the purity of his life that now mankind, according to the theological perspective, is now set free by his blood. The soul that sins dies. Jesus was sinless. He died. Therefore, his blood becomes effective. And this efficacy becomes perpetual for all that believe. So we come to this man in 1741, 300, 400, almost 350 years ago. I'm standing here doing math. I gave you the wrong number, but 1741, all right? Handel had success. Handel was well-known. Handel had wrote, written Italian operas. Handel was on top of the world. And then Handel came crashing down when they began to change their attitude about Italian operas. They wanted something else. Well, Handel being always being uh, clever and being a well-respected uh, uh, composer, he, he adjusted style. And he's up again. And he's, he's, he's walking again. And, and, and now all of a sudden again, he's out of favor 
And now Handel finds himself almost in poverty. Handel finds himself rejected. One writer puts it this way, that, that Handel's angry mind raced back to the memories of his great adulation and then looked at a, at a future of seemingly hopeless despair. For 40 years, the bachelor had written op operatic music, which was the rave of royalty in both England and the entire continent. Honors had fallen at his feet. He was in demand everywhere, and then suddenly things changed quite drastically and quickly. Other musicians who were jealous and bitter of him were now laughing at him. The court had turned his back on him. He felt low. He felt rejected. He felt broken. His health was broken. His dreams were broken. Suddenly, this man comes to him, Jennings, and Jennings writes to a friend these words. He says, I've given some music to Han I've given some words to Handel. I, I hope that he will lay out his whole genius and skill upon it, that the composition may excel at all and over all of his former compositions as the subject itself excels every other subject because the subject I've given him is Messiah. Indifferently at first, it said that Handel takes him the words and looks at it. And then suddenly something happens. He reads words that talk about how he was despised and rejected of men. He looked for someone to have pity on him, and there was no man. Neither found he any that would comfort him. But that his eyes raced to the place he trusted how he trusted in God, and how God did not leave his soul in hell, and that he will give you rest. And, and then finally, as he read these words and, and read about the hope that was found in, in these scriptures and the trust that this Messiah, he identified with him. I feel broken too. I feel hopeless too. As he read the faith of this Messiah and how the Messiah stood this test, and even came to the place of triumph where there's this cry that says, Hallelujah! Something began to steer and handle. Handel writes himself, he says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, as I wrote, I don't know. But God knows. But something hit me. And I sat and I began to write. And I wrote feverishly day and night. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote. I was inspired again. I wrote. And out came this music. 24 days, music that endures for about 220 some odd years. It endures. It endures this writing about Messiah. And so we have this third part, that third part of the tri triune presentation. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though some worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He uses the word goel, which speaks to this Redeemer, a close relative that comes. And we know he's talking about even as the, this Redeemer who comes and finds us in our calamity, but the one who identifies himself with us and calls us brothers and sisters as we become joint heirs with him, this kinsman redeemer, who is he speaking of other than Jesus Christ? 
The revelation of this Old Testament text comes alive again in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, when it says, for now is Christ risen from the dead, the first fruits of them that sleep. We find this mention of the first fruits being this old harvest of the Israelites presented to Yahweh that served as a deposit and a down payment, a guarantee of a fuller harvest as to come, that Jesus Christ is the first harvest of a new race that will come up from a grave, that which is marked as death and perpetually lost, yet now is established as a people who he forms and refashions that will look like him and be with him. And I'm the first fruit. They will follow my example. I am but the down payment of what's to follow, that whosoever shall believe in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he continues to write and begins, continues to compose the word that since by man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And Paul continues to tell us, and it's recorded in a song, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The 52nd and 53rd verse of... Chapter 15 says, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And the image that gives us is in the ancient course that just before the king came out to take his throne, the trumpets will begin to sound, ta-da, and in co- out comes the, the king, out comes the emperor, out comes the ruler. And so he speaks of a time when the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ, because the king has now come to take his place that even by this announcement of his presence that those that are dead in Christ shall now also rise. This blaring of the trumpet, we are reminded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where it speaks of, in the 8th verse, it says, and and that he, 13th verse, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that you saw not even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Now Paul does a little boasting as we bring this to a close. Then shall be brought to pass the saying, he said, death is swallowed up in victory. So death, where is thy sting? He boasts. He says, oh, great. (laughs) Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to our God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now comes these words, which is a chorus. From Romans chapter 8, 31, where he concludes with these words, singing together in confidence, singing together, knowing that death, our foe, is defeated. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of the elect? It is God 
that justifies. Who is he that is condemned? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is rose again, who is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. When congratulated on the success of, of his entertainment, that after three years, suddenly that which seemed to be a moderate success seemed to sweep Europe by storm and lasted all these years. When they said, Handel, you came up with great entertainment. We love it. We love it. It's, it's a masterpiece. Handel's response was, entertainment? I should be sorry if it was only entertainment. I wish to make people better. Not to entertain them, but make them better. Make them better in their walk. Make them better in their faith. Make them better in their study. Make them better in the time that they spend with Jesus. Make them better. Not to entertain them. Make them better. Make them stronger. Make them disciplined. Make them dynamic. Help them to know that they are overcomers by the power of God. Because we have defeated death. Because death is defeated. We are free to live our lives in victory. Is it fact or is it fiction? If it's fact, then we understand that it is a matter of life over death. And as a matter of life over death, if it is fact, may our lives reflect that fact that truth in all that we do. God bless you.